Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Three Point Threat Podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Have a great show lined up for you today. I'm going to have a guest joining me over the phone for all three points. His name is Christian Dudley, and he covers former Louisville Cardinals turned professionals for ESPN Louisville's Louisville Sports Live. And he also covers the Memphis Grizzlies for Blue World Order. Does a great job. Really excited to have him joining me today. And I wanted to have him on the show specifically to cover a former Louisville Cardinal that has quickly become a Utah Jazz fan favorite. So for point number one, Christian and I are going to talk about the Jazz's recent draft pick, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, For point two, we'll transition over to a little bit more of NBA news, and we'll try to make some sense of the current Carmelo Anthony, Kyrie Irving trade situations, Um, try to kind of give our insight there and what we think is going to happen. Then finally, for point three, uh, we will discuss the current landscape in the NBA, uh, specifically the discrepancy between the Eastern and Western conferences. So without further ado, let's welcome Christian Dudley to the show and jump into point one. Point one. All right, everybody, as I mentioned in the intro, um, my guest joining me over the phone today is Christian Dudley, and he covers former Louisville Cardinals turned professionals for ESPN Louisville's Louisville Sports Live. He also covers the Memphis Grizzlies for Blue World Order. Christian, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing, Jared? I'm doing good. You know, really appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Yeah. So, obviously, since your area of expertise is, you know, Louisville Cardinals turned professionals, I know you'll have a lot of great input on a guy who's quickly turned into a Utah Jazz fan favorite. So for point number one, I just want to talk about Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, uh, Donovan Mitchell there at Louisville, especially his second season with the team. Um, he really had to step up. Um, I'd say his leadership and his playmaking abilities really pop out. Uh, I'm sure that that's what Utah Jazz scouts really saw uh, looking at his Louisville footage. Uh, but especially stepping up to the challenge and clutch moments. Uh, especially you know conference tournament stuff like that. I mean, he would hit big shots. He gets teammates involved. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but he was actually a primary shooting guard uh, during his time at Louisville. But about halfway through his second season, which was last year, uh, Quentin Snyder, who was the team's point guard, he went down with an injury. So that meant that they had to come up with an adequate point guard to fill the role. And they actually slid Donovan Mitchell to the point guard position. Uh, and that's where he really took off. And I think that's really what uh, scouts started looking at. They saw his potential as an NBA point guard. Uh, really, he's interchangeable. Uh, shooting guard, point guard, uh, he can do it all. Uh, he's really versatile in that position. Uh, so that's really the the moment that really clicked for him. I think that's what scouts really uh, saw in him, um, that he's versatile, that he can be that versatile guard, whether it's point guard or shooting guard at the NBA level. Um, especially under Rick Pitino. Pitino will not play players if they do not play defense. Um, even Edgar Sosa, he's a popular name uh, for former Cardinals. Um, in his first year or two, Sosa would not play defense, even though he was one heck of a shooter and scored. Um, he wouldn't play defense, and it was always in the media about uh, Sosa and Pitino going back and forth, and Pitino would not play until he started playing defense. So a year later, Sosa started playing defense. He was one of the top defenders in the, uh, in the nation. And all of a sudden, he's starting. Louisville's winning games. All you hear about Sosa. Uh, so that's really what helped turn Edgar Sosa, even though he's small and undersized. Uh, now he's overseas playing basketball. Uh, so Patino can do wonders for you, but all you have to do is 
play some defense. And one thing about Mitchell is that he's always playing defense. He's known for his defense. He averaged six steals per game in summer league for the Utah Jazz. Yeah. And that just speaks volume to um, his defense that he learned under Coach Rick Pitino. Yeah, exactly. I think the Jazz are obviously super high on his defense, just like you mentioned, Christian. And I guess I wanted to ask you, when you watched him at Louisville, did you think he was going to be an NBA talent? Or, or what were your kind of thoughts on him early in his college career? I really thought he'd get drafted. Um, you know, I didn't know how good he would be just because the point guard position is the most competitive position in the NBA right now. Definitely. Uh, you know, it's all about small ball, pushing the ball, get points. Uh, you know, the emphasis on defense is really, you know, lacking compared to the uh, emphasis on offense right now, especially if you look at the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. The ones really set the tempo. Um but yeah, uh, Donovan Mitchell on his defense, I think it's something that's, uh, you know, it's something that's kind of rare around the league, but those six steals per game that he had, uh, I think that's really telling about the type of defender and player that he will be in the NBA. You know, he's got dynamic offense, but his defense is incredible too. To have both of those going for him right now, that's a huge asset for the Utah Jazz to have. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, you look at the NBA right now and two-way players are such a commodity and really they're so rare. You have some that are, you know, defensive specialists or they're good on offense, but to have both, that's that's a huge win for the Jazz in my mind. Uh, yeah, there's not too many players in the league that can do both of those. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I guess, you know, kind of on the flip side of this, though, you know, obviously he's young, hopefully he has a long career ahead of him, but what is your biggest concern about Mitchell at the professional level? Well, it's kind of like what I just hit on about the point guard position being most competitive in the NBA, um, there's a lot of good jazz guards, you know, on the roster, like Dante Exum, uh, you got Ricky Rubio, who's new through trade, uh, you've got Nito on the team, it's just that Donovan Mitchell's going to have to have a lot of poise behind him in order to overcome those challenges, those are all veteran point guards, uh, they've all been proven that, you know, they belong in the NBA, he's just got to show that he you know, belongs, not only belongs, but that he deserves constant minutes. Um, but, you know, he's got the defense, he's got the offense. Uh, Ricky Rubio sometimes, uh, some people think that he's a great defender. Me personally, I think he's kind of mediocre. Um, and his long-range shot isn't there. But that's where Donovan Mitchell, he's got that long-range shot. As you've seen in summer league, he can step out, hit the three, uh, even had some really long-range shots, you know, five or more feet behind the line, uh, behind the line just pull up, nail him. Um, I think he's probably got a better skill set than any of the Jazz guards right now. But, of course, he's the rookie. Uh, they're the veterans. He's going to have to prove himself, and they're not just going to insert him into the starting lineup immediately. Yeah, uh, So it'll be a little bit of a process for him as rookie season. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think obviously we all know he's going to have to develop, but you know, if we're talking you know, kind of the raw talent, you said the raw skill set, he has a lot of that there. Um, you know, I think in my mind I'm a little concerned just about his efficiency um, but I also think that's going to get a lot better as he gets comfortable with the team, um, as he gets used to the NBA game. I think we're only going to see that improve because he has a great shot. He has a great stroke, like you said. You know, they're in summer league. I know I don't always, you know, think, okay, they're just killing the summer league. They're going to do this in their first year in the regular season. Um, I think his efficiency will get better. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to kind of get those jitters out, uh, especially for Donovan coming right in to the summer league. And he did play in two summer leagues, too, which the Utah Jazz were part of both of them. Um, I guess it's probably just getting the jitters out. I know his field goal percentage wasn't all that great. But I think he'll it'll improve, especially regular season once his minutes are more controlled. And he can actually learn from some NBA pros. Uh, right now, he hasn't you know had hardly any exposure to NBA competition. 
um, I think that his efficiency will, you know, raise a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, so tell me, were you surprised at where Mitchell went in the draft? Was he was he too high? Was he too low? Was was he right where you thought he was going to be? What are your thoughts on where he was selected? Well, after his college season, his second college season, there was Louisville. Um, he was projected to be around twenty to twenty three. Um, so you know that's not bad, especially for being a first round pick just in those initial projections. Uh, but I thought he would move up uh, just because he was new to the point guard position. And really, over those two seasons, he had hardly played any of that point guard position. Um, so it kind of gave potential for him to move up the board, and that's where those pre-draft workouts really help out a prospect. Um, I know there at the Combine and all throughout his pre-draft workouts that every team that was working out was just raving about him. There were teams trying to move up. Um, and ultimately, he did get chosen there at 13 with Utah. Um, but there at pick number 11, I really thought the Charlotte Hornets would select him. Uh, but they did go with Malik Monk with the rival Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it kind of connects those two. You know, it'll be funny to see it play out in the future to see if there's any more comparisons of Monk versus Mitchell just because of the Cards and Cats rivalry there and the fact that Charlotte was uh, trying to choose between those two. Uh, but I think Charlotte was surprised that Malik Monk actually dropped a few spots and, they were, and he fell right in their lap. Uh, so they did choose Monk, not a bad selection. Uh, but he did, I think it was a sprained ankle in his one of his pre-draft workouts. Uh, so that kept Monk out of participating in the summer league. Yeah. So we're still waiting to see what type of player Monk might be in the NBA. You know, not all prospects translate uh, from college to doing really well uh, to moving to the NBA and then producing the same. Uh, it doesn't happen for everybody. But I do think Monk will be a great player. But as far as Mitchell goes, I think it's a better situation for him in Utah just because Charlotte has Kimba Walker, who's you know kind of an all-star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a challenge for Monk you know, if he's wanting to reach star level uh, early in his career just because everything's ran through Kimba Walker. Uh, he's their top scorer, top playmaker. Um, so it's going to be a little bit of a struggle for him. But for Donovan Mitchell... The Utah Jazz just got rid of Gordon Hayward, who was one of their top playmakers. Uh, even though Hay- Hayward was a small forward, he was one of their top scorers, playmakers. And that's where Mitchell can actually fill that void created by Gordon Hayward uh, since Hayward left for the Celtics in free agency. Um, so even though it's not the same position, I still see a lot of potential, especially with the versatility of Donovan Mitchell being able to play both guard spots. He can provide some of that scoring, shooting, playmaking, and, of course, defense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, so it was kind of funny. Right before um, I reached out to you, I'd be on the show. I had read your piece that you did about you know kind of comparing Malik Monk and Donovan Mitchell, and I thought it was an excellent piece, by the way. Um, I, yeah, I wanted to see you know not only with Monk though, where do you think that Mitchell stacks up against the other players in his draft class? Obviously, it's been touted as a very talented draft class. Where do you think Mitchell stacks up overall? Well, if you look right now on NBA.com's rookie ladder, he's actually in the top seven. Wow. Um, I actually thought that was kind of low because, I mean, he was, um, I believe, the top scorer for all of summer league play with 28 points per game. Uh-huh. Um, he did have, I think it was uh, 33 points on Memphis Grizzlies, maybe more. Uh, he was just... I think it was 37. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, he was just, yeah, he was just flat out killing the competition. And uh, even the Grizzlies, you know, he scored that many points. It's amazing. But the Grizzlies, over half of their roster is filled up of guys that will be playing NBA minutes this year. Actually played NBA minutes last year uh, with the Grizzlies and also in the D-League. Uh, so it just shows that 
Uh, not only did he score that much, but he scored that much against actual NBA talent. Um, so, you know, Donovan Mitchell, he's just really impressive right now. Take it for what it's worth from a summer league play, but whether you're comparing him to Malik Monk or De'Aaron Fox, who went uh, even earlier in the draft, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell probably was a lot more impressive than De'Aaron Fox, no matter if you're a Wildcats fan, Cards fan, or just an NBA fan. Uh, it's not easy, or it's not hard to really tell that Donovan Mitchell's probably the best point guard in this draft. Uh, and even if you look at Markel Fultz, who was chosen number one by the Philadelphia 76ers, um, he had a little bit of an injury that held him out um, in one of the summer league games. And honestly, I didn't see anything as impressive from Fultz in the minutes that he did play compared to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, if you're you know, a common person on NBA Twitter scrolling through your timeline. It was highlight after highlight of Donovan Mitchell. Um, whether it's Bleacher Report showing highlights, NBA.com showing highlights on Twitter. Um, it was Donovan Mitchell everything. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And, and I think in the case of Mitchell, Christian, I, I think that he kind of, you know, he played the three games in Utah, obviously in the Utah Jazz Summer League. And then just the fact that he only played two games in Vegas, I think that kind of hurt him as far as where people are putting him, like in the rookie ladder rankings and all that you said. But, you know, the, I mean, he didn't play as many games as other people, but in the two he did play, he looked phenomenal. So to your point, I think he had that going for him, and I think he looked fantastic. So that was awesome to see. I guess last question I want to ask you about Mitchell is what do you expect for his rookie year? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but do you think he'll be a solid nightly contributor? Do you think he has a chance at rookie of the year? Kind of walk me through what you envision for Donovan's rookie year. I think right now he will be a nightly contributor. Uh, I'm assuming Utah Jazz will start game one of the season uh, with their plan in mind of having Donovan Mitchell play point guard. Uh, and that's actually a really good plan because they could also move Dante Exum to shooting guard because uh, he's pretty interchangeable there as well. Uh, both Exum and Mitchell played really well together in summer league. Uh, both really, you know, connected. Uh, there was a few hustle plays that, you know, they really connected on, like fast breaks, stuff like that. They had really good chemistry already. And that's really going to help the Utah Jazz in the season, um, especially making Exum, even though he's not a rookie, uh, been in the league for a few years. Um, having him on that team actually helped to get Donovan Mitchell acclimated to the NBA speed. Uh, that's just going to pay really good dividends in the regular season. Um, but yeah, I think that Donovan Mitchell will play regular minutes each night, um, probably initially 10 to 15 tops. Uh, Ricky Rubio is going to be the guy written in there as the starter point guard, and I'm assuming Rodney Hood's going to be the team's um, shooting guard. But I mean, as the, as the season moves along, I think Donovan Mitchell could probably become the starter by season's end. Uh, for him and his rookie of the year hopes, uh, it really depends on how soon that happens. Um, if he, you know, is kind of sluggish starting off, um, has those jitters early in the season, you know, it, he probably won't have as uh, good a chance as like Lonzo Ball or Marco Fultz yeah. um, of getting rookie of the year. Of course, Lonzo Ball had triple-double uh, average, or was it average? I know he had a few triple doubles uh, during summer league. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a big fan of Lonzo Ball at all. So <laughs> we're on, we're on the same page there. On this case, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, as far as rookie of the year goes and his success with the Jazz, um, it's really the ball's in his court. It's just a matter of how much of an impact he can make immediately. Uh, but Utah Jazz are huge fans of him in the uh, front office. Uh, you know, everything's just going really well for him right now. Good kid. 
Yeah, no, I agree. You know, it's kind of funny, Christian. It's almost like we shared notes on that one because I wanted to talk to you about how I thought that him and Exum looked great together. That's going to be, I think, one of the funnest, you know, backcourt duos off the bench um, in the league. They're going to be really fun to watch play together. And like you said, I think lack of minutes might hurt his rookie of the year case where you have, you know, Fultz and Ball are going to be starting from the get-go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he has as good a shot as anybody with what he showed us at Summer League. So it'll be fun to see what lies ahead for Mitchell. So... Cool. Well, with that being said, um, now Christian and I are going to move on to point number two. Uh, we want to talk a little bit more about NBA news, and we're going to visit about the current situations with Carmelo Anthony and Kyrie Irving. Point two. Okay, so for point number two, uh, Christian and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Carmelo Anthony and Kyrie Irving situations. Obviously, both have been heavily mentioned in trade rumors. Um, there are different situations with the two, but they've both expressed some degree of frustration with their current situations. Christian, I wanted to ask you, kind of pick your brain a little bit. What do you make of these situations? What do you think is going through each each of Melo and Kyrie's heads? For Melo, you know, I would be frustrated too. I know the Knicks don't have Phil Jackson anymore. That was pretty much the big issue. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Phil Jackson just constantly disrespecting Melo for no reason in the media. Uh, just throwing jabs at Melo here and there. You know, Melo, he's just, you know, doing his own thing, just playing. And he's like, why is my boss just constantly poking at me? Yeah, it's a good <laughs> way to put it. get a reaction pretty much. But for Melo, I would be frustrated too if I were him. Um, he's, you know, done what's asked of him, even though his team hasn't had the greatest results. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've had some injuries. Um, you know, just really it falls on management, though, whether it's injuries or not. Um Phil Jackson seriously is the you know the bad apple right here. Yeah. <laughs> and even though they've gotten rid of him, uh, it still lingers with Melo. Obviously, he's not going to be fine. Say, okay, yeah, now I just want to remain with the Knicks for the rest of my life. Uh, that's not the case. Um, I know he wants to go to Houston. Um, I don't know if that will happen or not. Then I'll go ahead and talk about Kyrie here. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Then I'll touch on mine. Yeah. Him in there too. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for Kyrie, it's not like the Mello case because Mello, we've known that he wants out. The Knicks are bad. Yep. <laughs> uh, but for Kyrie, uh, the Cavs, you know, have won a championship. They've been in the finals consecutive years. You know, well, actually, three years in a row now. Um, and so people are like, why is Kyrie wanting out of Cleveland? Well, my take is that it's probably related to LeBron James, and I'm assuming because Kyrie is such good and close friends with LeBron that he probably already has an inside uh you know, take about LeBron leaving town here soon via free agency. He's probably thinking, yeah, LeBron's going to the Lakers, so I went out of town. I don't want to be left with a team once LeBron leaves that can't win 20 games. Yeah, um, He's, you know, seen the whole LeBron to Miami fiasco um, and seeing what the Cavs were left with. Uh, of course, Kyrie was drafted right after that. Kyrie had to pick up the team. Uh, he was really doing everything for the Cavaliers. And I'm sure, especially now that he's older and established in the league, that he doesn't have to go through that rebuild again, uh, yeah. literally from the ground up. Um, so I'm thinking that's why he's come forward, asked for a trade, uh, whether he's uh, wanted it public as it is now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it is what it is now. He's not even picking up any phone calls from the Cavaliers. It's just a, a terrible situation. And I really didn't think anything could get worse than the Paul George trade rumors this summer. Uh, that was a terrible, uh, you know, 
we'll call it event yep. <laughs> happened this summer, uh, especially with me living in Indiana. I've seen it all with Paul. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think it could get any worse with that, uh, but Kyrie Irving's proven me wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a bad situation. You know, I guess my input would be, you know, I agree with 100% on Melo. I see why he's frustrated. Obviously, he's on more of the downward slope of his career, and he wants to win a title. He knows that's not going to happen in New York. He's got to make a change, so I understand that completely. Um, with Kyrie, you know, I I get it to some extent, but I, I'm also just a little bit confused just because I feel like, you know, he's in a great place in Cleveland. I get that he, he may be sick of playing in LeBron's shadow. Like you mentioned, Christian, maybe he knows that LeBron's leaving, but I still feel like in Cleveland, you know, he's playing a major role on that team. He's playing major minutes. He's getting a ton of shots. And my question for him would be, you know, would you rather play in LeBron's shadow uh, through June or would you rather be the main guy on a team that's done in April or May? <laughs> you know, and exactly. that's a good point. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, yes, LeBron could leave after next year, but Kyrie himself only has two years left on his contract. So I feel like, yeah, maybe you have that one kind of awful year in Cleveland if LeBron does leave, but then you're an unrestricted free agent after that. Why would you miss out on a chance to maybe win a ring next year? That's my biggest right, concern with this. Right, just ride it thought. out. You know, you don't have much longer. Yep, exactly. Win a second ring. Yeah. So where are you going to go to? I know that the four teams that Kyrie's reportedly been wanting to, you know, get traded to are the San Antonio Spurs, Miami Heat, New York Knicks, Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh-huh. Yes, the Spurs, you know, they're always like top two seeds in the West. Uh, they're always right there in the conference finals uh, at the absolute least. And other than that, you know, I don't think the Spurs' destination is too likely. No, me uh, neither. But as far as the other three teams on his list, those teams are not going to be competing for a championship. Mm-hmm. The Heat, Knicks, Timberwolves, um, Heat, they're borderline playoff team. The Knicks, no, nope. they're not going <laughs> to even make the playoffs. Yep. No, we're not. <laughs> yep. Then the Timberwolves, they might sneak into the playoffs, but as far as contending goes, they're way too young. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I honestly thought that of those four places, like I said, Miami, Minnesota, I can at least see how they could be a good situation for him and, and he could like it there. But like you say, it's not going to be title contending teams. San Antonio, I just don't think the fit works out. And in San, San Antonio, he'd still be, I mean, that's still Kawhi Leonard's team. Obviously playing in Leonard's shadow isn't the same as playing in LeBron's shadow, just personality wise and things like that. And then New York, you know, that one confused me because, yeah, sure, he'd be the man there. But like you said, I, I still don't think that makes him a playoff team. So... Kind of interesting. Um, the one thing I wanted to touch on too with Kyrie is that, you know, if he, I feel like now he's kind of forced Cleveland's hand to trade him. And what if, say he gets traded, one of the teams that's come up is, say he gets traded to the Suns, for example. And if he goes and plays for the Suns, they're, even with Kyrie, there's no way they're getting out of the West. And he's just given up on one, maybe two years of potentially going to the finals again with Cleveland. And I just think, he and like you said, maybe he didn't want this to be made public, but I think he hasn't thought this through all the way. And I think there could be a better option than to demand a trade now, in my mind. Right there with uh, the Paul George trade rumors, you know, there's all these different scenarios being made public now um, about what they were offering Cleveland, what Cleveland was offering the Pacers. Yep. Um, I've seen one thing where Cleveland actually had Kyrie Irving included in those trade rumors. Uh, of course, this is all before Kyrie's made his trade request. Uh-huh. Um, I think that would have been one of the better options for Kyrie. Yeah. Um, get traded to Indy, Paul George go to Cleveland. Uh, no, I'm not a, a Cavs fan by, uh, <laughs> by any measure. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't like to see Paul go to that rival team. Uh-huh. Uh, but still, I think as far as Indy goes and even Kyrie Irving, you know, I think that would have been the best scenario if it was actually on the board because Indy's got Miles Turner. Uh, that would have been a nice grouping there. Uh, 
with him, Glenn Robinson, Kyrie. You know, it'd been a nice little team. Um, but yeah, if Kyrie would go to the Phoenix Suns, uh, they don't really have much. They just no. have a lot of youth, uh, not too many veterans. They've got a lot of players that are still raw and developing. You know, I I don't think they would be able to sneak into the playoffs, especially in the West. They'd probably still be a bottom five team. Um, actually, right now I have the Phoenix Suns uh, projected to be the actual worst team in the Western Conference next season. Yeah, so do I. That doesn't really, you know, that's not disrespect to the Suns. That's just because of the Western Conference is that deep. Yep, I agree. And I see teams like Denver, Portland, Minnesota, uh, a lot of these teams they're just flat out better than the Suns. And even though the Suns could really do some damage if they were in the East, you know, it's the West, uh, the wild, wild West, if you want to put it like that. Yep. Um, and even with Kyrie, you know, they're going to need more than that. Kyrie, Booker, uh, Bledsoe, unless he would be the outgoing player to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, that trio there, I mean, it's not better than what a lot of these teams have going, like Portland with McCollum, uh, Damian Lillard and company. Um, I don't see them squeaking into the Western Conference playoffs, even if they do gain Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I agree. Um, switching gears back over to Melo a little bit, you know, like you mentioned, he's pretty set on going to Houston. Obviously, he has that no trade clause, so he can have a little bit of say maybe in where he ends up. Do you think New York's going to have a hard time dealing him, or, or what do you think there? A no trade clause is key because Melo is being picky. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's wanting to go to the Houston Rockets. There's also been rumors of the Knicks trying to trade him to Cleveland for Kyrie Irving. Yeah. You know, it's funny how those two are being linked now. Yep. Um, but I don't see the Knicks, even with all the dumb moves they've made in the past, I don't see them being dumb enough, especially without Phil Jackson now, to actually send Carmelo to Houston like he wants. Yeah. Because chances are, I mean, the Knicks aren't going to be receiving James Harden, Chris Paul, etc. They're not going to get uh, some star player in return if they do a deal with Houston. Um, and ultimately, you know, Knicks fans, they always want the best of the best. They want superstars there. It's the Big Apple. Um, you know, you can't get that from the Houston Rockets right now with what Houston's trying to build. So, of course, you know, they want Carmelo, but... You know, it's just not a, uh, a good trade partner if you're looking at it from a Knicks perspective. Yeah. Um, and even if you trade to Cleveland, uh, that's probably the best bet for a mellow deal right now just because Kyrie wants out. It's a bad deal uh, with all the publicity it's getting. Uh, Cleveland wants him out now. Uh, they might as well just ship him off for Melo uh, to New York so that way you know LeBron gets somebody he likes because you know uh, behind all this LeBron's been saying that he's not happy with management yeah um, you know all the management change they've had and um, failing to get Paul George who's also a friend of LeBron's um, so I think that if the Knicks would send Melo to Cleveland that would make LeBron happy um, I'm not saying it would be make him happy enough to uh, remain <laughs> in <laughs> Cleveland for the next however many years um but at least for this next season, plus Kyrie, it's, he's you know the bad apple right now. Um, I think it would solve some issues for both teams. Get two disgruntled stars out of the way, uh, switch teams, make LeBron happy in Cleveland for a little bit. Um, ultimately, I don't really see a deal better than that. Yeah, I'd agree with you, and you know I think that. Mellow sounds, you know, kind of hellbent on Houston, but also, like you mentioned, New York's kind of a stubborn organization. They're going to want to get the best haul they can get. At the end of the day, you know, Mellow might need to decide, okay, do I 
do I waive my no trade clause and go to a situation that maybe is not my top choice just to get off the right. Knicks, or what do I do? I really think that that's what he's going to have to decide. So prediction time, I mean, I guess, do you think they'll both be traded, yes or no? Do you think that Kyrie, um, Mello swap is what's going to happen? What's your prediction for these two? My prediction for Mello is that he will stay okay. with the New York Knicks because I don't see the Knicks actually accommodating his trade request to Houston. I'm not sure if he really wants to go to Cleveland or not. And I haven't seen a whole lot on that. Um, so I don't know if he would waive that no-trade clause there. I don't see Mello waiving his no-trade clause for somebody like, say, the Hornets, the Nets, um, you know, somebody like that. Yeah, definitely um, not. It's <laughs> not, you know, fully guaranteed at the playoffs. Um, I think Melo would rather just ride it out where he is now um, if he's not guaranteed a chance at going to Houston. Then for Kyrie, I would say that, yes, he will be traded. Okay. Um, you know, this has been such a stink in the media right now because of how bad it's making Kyrie Irving look. Um, the Cavs management, you know, they're getting out of sorts too. They can't even reach Kyrie by phone. You know, what type of message does this send your fan base of all people? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that they will do whatever it takes in order to move Kyrie as long as they get some decent value in return, uh, which I think they will. I mean, Kyrie, he's... Uh, probably the next best point guard behind Russell Westbrook and Stephen Curry. He's won a ring, you know, up lead Cleveland to a ring uh, with LeBron James. Uh, I mean, there's lots of reasons for every team in the league to be interested in Kyrie Irving. Uh, so I think that they do move Kyrie. Like I said, the best bet for a trade scenario would really be sending him to the Knicks, uh, just trade superstars, uh, Kyrie from Melo. Um, if not that one, I can really see uh, Kyrie getting sent to the Miami Heat, probably for a package of Goran Dragic and Justice Winslow. Um, I think that's pretty solid value for Cleveland, especially moving forward and trying to get back to the finals yet again and win that uh, second ring versus Golden State. Um, and for the Heat, I think that's good value because they can get another star. Of course, they've lost D. Wade. Chris Bosh has now been uh, forced out because of health reasons. Um and they were a borderline playoff team last year. Uh, so I think it'd be good for both teams if the Cavs and the Heat would do a deal, which is kind of funny just because of the history uh, linked by LeBron James of leaving the Cavs, going to the Heat, yeah. and then ultimately returning to Cleveland. Yeah, it'd be kind of ironic there. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, I mean, especially with Kyrie, how awkward, I guess, would it be to have him on the floor to start next year? I mean, he's kind of expressed he wants out. I think there'd just be a weird dynamic, you know, with the fans and in the locker room, on the court. So I agree with you. I do think Kyrie will be traded. Uh, you know, there there is, though, the G, their new GM has said that the friction between him and LeBron has been overblown. He's mentioned that Kyrie still figures into their plans. That could just kind of be a smoke screen or a cover. I, I don't know. It's all kind of interesting. But I do think Kyrie's going to get traded. Um, if he goes to the Knicks, I think it would have to be a swap for Melo. Other than that, I think, as you mentioned, the Heat would be a good option. I actually do think Melo is going to get traded too. I think at the end of the day, Melo is going to realize that he wants out of the Knicks. And while he'll be a little picky, I think that somehow they're going to get it done. That's just my prediction there, I guess. Um, and then I know it's hard to to really guess before it happens. But if a trade does happen with Melo and Kyrie or, or both of them, how do you think that affects the overall NBA landscape? What is it going to look like with two star players potentially moving to different teams? Well, if say if Melo would go to Houston, I mean, that is one more super team. Yep. And yet again, it is not in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it's already way lopsided. And then if Melo goes to Houston to join Chris Paul and James Harden, I mean, that team is obviously going to be competing with the Golden State Warriors. 
as uh, one of the top teams in the league. Uh, and that's just one more superstar, one more all-star that is out of the Eastern Conference. Uh, it doesn't look bad for the city of New York either with Melo wanting out, uh, them not having the star. Um, Chris Depp's Brzingis, he's getting up there, but you know, Melo is oh, an Olympian. He's a gold medalist. You know, he played at Syracuse, won a national championship. Uh, and to get rid of that superstar from the East, it's like, well, we've got John Wall. <laughs> yeah. What else do we have besides him and LeBron? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, and then Kyrie, I really don't see him getting traded to a Western Conference team. Uh, the two that were on his list were the San Antonio Spurs and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I really don't see him uh, getting traded to, uh, to either of those. Of course, Timberwolves, they just signed Jeff Teague in free agency. So it's kind of like, well, why would you have two all-star caliber point guards yeah. on the team? Um, and they probably have to give up Andrew Wiggins. And I'm like, you know, that's one of your best players. Why would you already take something uh, from your core, from your youthful core, uh, that's really been producing to and living up to the height uh, whenever you just signed that all-star point guard Jeff Teague, who was an all-star season before last with the Atlanta Hawks. So I think that the best case for Kyrie is that if he does get moved, he'll go to the Miami Heat. Uh, and, of course, the Heat were one of the four teams on his list of preferred destinations. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just kind of like a match made in heaven right now, as far as Kyrie's concerned. Yeah, it makes sense, and I think it'd be good for the dynamic of the NBA to, you know, like you said, keep a star in the East, because right now the discrepancy is, is kind of crazy, not only in overall talent, but in star power. I mean, like you said, you kind of have Kyrie, LeBron, uh, you have your John Wall, I guess you could argue Isaiah Thomas, Gordon Hayward with Boston, but that's that's really the extent of it. I guess I'll throw Kyle Lowry in there too, and, and Tentacumpo, but still, the star power is just very, very unbalanced between the two conferences, and that would only make it worse. Um, I do think Kyrie obviously makes it to any team he goes to better. Um, Melo hypothetically should too. I, you know, I still worry about him as a teammate. I do think it would be interesting if Melo ended up going somewhere where he can, you know, finally be maybe the number two option instead of the number one, like with Houston or like with Cleveland. I, I'd like to see what Melo does in that situation, see how he pans out that way. Uh, but we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see in the coming months what happens with these two. Yeah, especially with Melo, it's like, how much does he really have to think? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been with New York for a handful of years now, hasn't really done anything. Uh, it's pretty much just checking shots up there. Uh, can he really even help out a team? <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, he's not going to play, give you much defense. Uh, he's not known as a great passer. Um, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see. It's got to be a really unique, a really, uh, really good fit for him, for him to be able to make a team better, I feel like. I completely agree. Yeah. All right, so we were talking about the landscape of the NBA a little bit there, and that's actually what I want to talk about for point three. Um, as far as how the NBA looks right now, Christian and I are going to dive into the discrepancy between the East and Western Conference and kind of give our thoughts there. So let's move on now to point three. Point three. All right, so as we all know, uh, the Western Conference is looking a lot more powerful than the Eastern Conference right now. So Christian, the thing I wanted to ask you is there anything the league can or should do about the balance of power between the two conferences? I know there's people that have talked about a 1 through 16 seed playoff, but is there anything the league can or should do, or what's is there any solution here, I guess? I would love if they would go through that 1 to 16 format. Mm-hmm. Um, the NBA, they've allowed this mess to happen of all these stars just aligning on one team 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's happening too much. Like we've been talking about, the Western Conference is just loaded with stars. The East has hardly any. They've got all these rebuilding teams that seem to just be stuck in that rebuilding mode year after year, uh, not gaining any ground towards the playoffs. Um, I would love it if they would go to you know, make the top 16 teams, no matter the conference, just throw them into a pool um, and go about it that way. Um, I would absolutely love it. And that would be one way for the NBA to kind of correct the mess that they've created. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I would love to see the 1-16 through 16 playoffs. Um, if they did that, I feel like to make it really work, I feel like they'd have to change the regular season too. Um, and make it so every team plays each other the same amount of times. Because my concern would be, you know, East teams would still have an advantage because they're playing the other teams in the East three to four times and the West teams only twice. So you still have the West beating up on each other. Um, So there's that. If you were to do that, and here's kind of the problem, I guess, maybe, if every team played all the other teams three times, it becomes 87 games instead of 82, which really isn't that much more. But I know people do complain about how the season is already too long. Um, then you get into kind of the question of travel, and maybe there's more back-to-backs, so that is a downside. Um, but I, I guess in short, you know, if, if you didn't have to worry about travel, didn't have to worry about back-to-backs, I would love to even change the regular season too, so you played everybody the same number of times, and then you just take the top 16 teams. Because I just think it's going to give you a way more competitive product in the playoffs instead of you know the Eastern Conference where you already know which team's going to go all the way to the end. We could at least see something in that second and that third round that's going to be really exciting. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. I, I don't know what they'll do or if they'll be able to, though. And, Jared, I think another thing would be is that this would produce some new matchups, too. Yeah. Uh, some ones that we haven't seen before. Because right now, you know, you've got uh, Cleveland always in the conference finals. And that's whoever, you know, manages to make it that far in the East. Uh, you've got a lot of these same matchups every single year. You're like, oh, yeah, it's the third straight year these two teams have been playing each other. Yeah. Uh, kind of like the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they are commonly matched against the San Antonio Spurs in the first round. Uh, even before the whole Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, Mark Saul, Mike Conley, uh, grit and grind era, as we call it, um, whenever Pal Gasol was still there, it was still Grizzlies and Spurs after the first round. Yeah. Uh, and here it is, last two years, first round, drawing the Spurs. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of gets old. Uh, players in their faces, you know, it, it does change a little bit, but you know, Grizzlies fans specifically, we'd like to see somebody new. And also somebody other than the Clippers. They're a, a common uh, matchup, too, throughout the playoffs. Uh, whenever the Grizzlies make a postseason run. Uh, but, yeah, I think it'd be cool because then we could see uh, maybe like the Bucks versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. Uh, Houston Rockets versus the Washington Wizards. Uh, you know, those, those could be potential first-round matchups, uh, depending on how the seeding goes. But... I don't know, it'd be something new and something unique, and it might actually draw more uh, new interest into the NBA. Yeah, you know, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I mean, you look at recently, you know, they changed the finals format from the 2-3-2 back to the normal, the 2-2-1-1-1. And the biggest reason it was 2-3-2 before was because of the difficulty of travel. But, you know, in today's world, that's not as big of an issue anymore. I think you could easily do these seven-game series, even if it's an, an East versus West matchup. And like you said, it'd be a lot more entertaining. It would change a lot more each year. You know, you may end up having four quote unquote West teams in your semifinals, but if that's going to be the most competitive and the most exciting, then why not? You know, I'd much rather see a, a semifinals that was, you know, maybe it's Golden State and uh, and Cleveland in the semifinals instead of seeing over in the East something like uh, Cleveland and Toronto. I mean, it's a lot more exciting to see two good teams do battle. 
And also, the NBA is going to be starting the season a week or two sooner. Uh huh. Starting this next season, I think that would be great. Just like you said, that because of the air travel, they could add say maybe one extra day's rest between those playoff games. Yeah. Uh, they're already starting the season a little bit sooner, which you know I think that's good. They're not uh, wasting as much time with like preseason, all those days in between preseason games. Yep. Month of October. Uh, but also if. You know, this could help with that plan of top 16 teams, uh, new matchups. Yes, it would cause more air travel, but start the season a little bit sooner. You can add in an extra uh, day or two of rest for these teams that might have to be uh, traveling all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast and vice versa. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I don't think any of us fans would complain if we got to see, you know, the playoffs stretch a little bit longer, <laughs> got to have a little shorter offseason and enjoy more NBA basketball. I know I'd be all in for that. I would too. <laughs> um, so talking about the landscape, I wanted to touch just real briefly on you know our team. So the Jazz, the Grizzlies, who you cover, and then I know that you're a big Pacers fan. Uh, Pacers are my number two team after the Jazz. Where do you see those three faring in the in the standings next season? I'll start with the Western Conference first. Okay. Uh, I think the Utah Jazz will be around the seat. Uh, there's a lot of teams that are just right there. You know, they're kind of grouped on that same tier together. Uh, so I'll just run through my Western Conference rankings to explain to my uh, yeah. fans. They might be wondering why I've dropped down from the seat they were this past season. Uh-huh. Uh, so number one, I have Golden State, of course, for the obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, number two, I have Houston Rockets, uh, just because they have added Chris Paul. Uh, I think they'll give enough, enough of an edge to bypass the Spurs a little bit. Uh, so number three, I do have the Spurs. Number four, I have Oklahoma City, um, especially with the Paul George acquisition. I think that that would be enough to really give Russell Westbrook some, uh, some star help now. And you saw what he did last year. He took a team of, you know, not a lot, <laughs> yeah. not much help. And he was able uh, to boost them up uh, pretty high in the West. Um, and actually, I hate to say it, but ahead of the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so I think they will be around the fourth seed next year, uh, assuming all goes well with health. Uh, so number five, I have the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, Trying not to be too biased there. <laughs> uh, there's lots of that Randolph uh, and Vince Carter, but they have gained Tyreek Evans and Ben McLemore. Um, there will be a new change of scenery for McLemore, who I think really has the potential. Uh, and the Grizzlies could really use them in their grand scheme of things. Uh, they really need his shooting. And for Tyreek Evans, they really need his scoring ability. He's not much of an outside shooter, but just getting to the line, putting points on the board, get to the rack. Uh, I think Tyreek returning to Memphis, uh, the city of Memphis, uh, I think that that will be a great acquisition as well for the team. Uh, and so since they've kept, uh, kept Mike and Mark, I think that they will remain in the fifth seed. Uh, number six, I have the Utah Jazz. Of course, they've lost Gordon Hayward. Uh, but with the pickup of Ricky Rubio, I think that he will be a solid point guard, even though the team did lose George Hill. Uh, yeah, I think that Rubio is probably going to have uh, more games played next season than George Hill. Uh, I agree. When George was with the Pacers, uh, he had constant groin injuries. Um, he would have, you know, like a sprained toe, foot, something like that here and there. Uh, he could never fully get George Hill completely healthy when he was a Pacer. And I saw the exact same when he was with the Jazz last year. Uh, started out those first few weeks, you know, just doing great with the Jazz, looking like it's you know, best basketball he had ever played in his career. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he goes out for a period of time uh, and was in and out with injuries last year. So I think Ricky Rubio just being healthy 
and his status of being a healthy player, I think that will really um, help out the Utah Jazz. Uh, and I don't think they'll drop too much. I have them in the sixth seed. Then seven, we get to Minnesota. I think they'll finally get to the playoffs. Uh, after this long drought, uh, of course, they'll cover Gordy Jang, since he is a former Louisville Cardinal from their 2013 championship team. Um, he is the one of their starters there in Minnesota, and I'm so glad that now he can finally have a decent shot at making the playoffs. Uh, it's always been a long shot for them ever since they've drafted him, uh, but I'll be happy if they do you know, make it. He's put in time. He's earned it. He played 82 games last year uh, and still didn't make it. You know, we kind of feel bad for a guy like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a great uh, player. I feel like he's a stand-up guy, too. And then number eight, I have the Portland Trailblazers with Damon C.J. there. Uh, they're always solid. Uh, number nine, Denver Nuggets. That's a young team that I think is just barely going to miss out on the playoffs. Uh, it's going to be some tight standings there, so every single game is going to count for these teams. Uh, number 10, Sacramento Kings. Like I said, they've added Zach Randolph, Vince Carter, and also George Gilmasoffi. They went from a team that I thought would probably uh, wind up being 15th in the West, but now by snagging all three of those veteran players off the free agency market, I could see Sacramento being anywhere from 10 to uh, maybe even 7. It might surprise some people, uh, especially if Buddy Heald and Scala Bissera is really developed over the summer. Wow. Uh, but right now, I'm just going to keep them uh, at 10 just to be safe. Uh, number 11, I have the Pelicans. Anthony Davis is always getting injured. They have DeMarcus Cousins now, but uh, they still have much of a bench. Um, they've improved a little bit uh, from last year, but uh, I just don't have much faith in the Pelicans and their health. Number 12, I have the Lakers, led by Alonzo Ball. And some Lakers, you know, they, they think that they're just going to win the championship right now, but I don't think it's going to be anything like that. Alonzo's not going to be averaging a triple-double in the regular season. So I've got them in at 12. It might surprise me, and if they do, I'll eat some pro when that time comes. <laughs> uh, number 13, I have the Clippers. Of course, Blake Griffin's currently injured. He's now until, I think, mid-December. Um, they've lost Chris Paul. They're, they didn't have much of a bench to start out with, and they've lost a few of those key members already in, in uh, free agency, including Mo State uh, and Luke Mumba and Lupe. And I think both of those guys played a really big role for the Clippers uh, in that second unit. So if you don't have a second unit, you lost your top player, uh, you're stuck with Blake Griffin, and you have DeAndre Jordan. Yes, they added Patrick Beverly, but I don't have much faith in Patrick Beverly uh, being that key point guard trying to facilitate offense. He's one heck of a defender, um, but you know, he's, he's definitely no Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. Um, then 14, I have the Dallas Mavericks. The really young roster. They've got a old Dirk and Whiskey, you know, leading the team, though. Um, other than Harrison Barnes, I don't see that they um, have a whole lot on the roster that's going to actually secure those victories. Uh, then lastly, have the Phoenix Suns down there. Uh, they've just lost Brandon Knight uh, to an ACL tear in a Pro-Am pickup game. Uh, it's unfortunate, and that only is going to take a few more wins away from them. Uh, so maybe they will try to snag Kyrie in a trade. But even if they do, they're not going to leapfrog many of these teams in front of them. Yeah, I agree with you. So I won't go through my whole list since Ryan Aston, my J Notes colleague, and I did that last show. But just a couple things that stood out to me on yours. Um, you know, I had the Jazz six as well. Um, I, I had the Thunder in the same spot too. That's uh, kind of interesting there. 
Um, I was interested to see that you had the Clippers as low as you did. I I agree with you. I had the Clippers 10th, actually, but I agree that they won't be a playoff team next year. I've seen a lot of people who still have them in the playoffs, which to me is surprising. I guess we'll see what happens. And then uh, I might make an enemy out of you, Christian, but in mine I had the Grizzlies as ninth, just barely missing the playoffs. So, But I will say this, though. Every time I've doubted the Grizzlies, they've proved me wrong. They, they, I feel like they're a team, kind of like the Spurs, that they always find a way to exceed your expectations. They always find a way to make it in. So I will not be the least bit surprised if I'm totally wrong there and I eat some crow and they make it. So that's kind of my I'm thoughts on, on it. A little bit more grit and grind, less than that thing off there that we can just – making that eighth spot for you. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly think, I mean, Marcus Gasol is still going to be great. Mike Conley, you know, he still remains one of the better point guards in the Western Conference. Uh, they still have a great team. It's just the West is going to be, more than anything, it's going to depend on how much teams like the Wolves and the Nuggets improve. If they're as good as people think they might be, I have the Wolves 7 and the Nuggets 8 on mine, but I could definitely right. see the Grizzlies passing both of them easily as well. So I don't know. It just kind of depends. That's my thought on it. Um, right. what, what about the Pacers? What do you think? Where do you think they're going to finish up? What's your East look like? Uh, well, the Pacers, you know, they're kind of struggling. They got a little bit of value from Paul George in that trade to send to Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. Um, they did get Victor Oladipo in return in for myself. Um, it is nice to see Victor Oladipo return to a state that he actually calls home. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice that we did get that hometown guy that played for IU, um, even though I will mention that he is from uh, the D.C. area. But, you know, for him, it's kind of like home. He played four years at Indiana University. Um, And that will keep fans in seats. And that will also, I would say, bring more fans in just so we can watch Victor. He's one of the all-time best Hoosiers there's been. And for a prestigious university, a basketball program like IU, you know, that's huge. Um, And so I don't know if he'll become like an all-star. I'm not saying anything like that. there with the Magic, he was kind of being a pretty decent player, and then he was delegated to a six-man role, uh, so it kind of squashed his uh, development a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so I think he might get back on track. Who knows? He might become a uh, an all-star player, especially because all these stars are leaving the East. It only opens up some of these all-star spots um, when the all-star weekend rolls around. Uh, but yeah, Miles Turner, he's going to be the face of the franchise for the Pacers now. Um, you know, that's a great thing. He's very young. Uh, he's looking kind of like a young Jermaine O'Neal, if you want to put it that way. Uh, if any of the listeners remember those days, uh, hopefully not the not the brawl. <laughs> Prior to that, yeah. <laughs> but if you can remember Jermaine O'Neal, um, he was an MVP candidate for a couple of years. Um, yes, that team was stacked, but, you know, he was about the best shot blocker in the league. Uh, he had a solid mid-range game. Uh, Miles Turner, in comparison, he's got the mid-range game. He's got a post game. Uh, he's got a really smooth touch. Uh, defensively, he blocks lots of shots. He's actually blocked LeBron on a few bucket attempts. Uh, that has really got the crowd out of their seats. Uh, you know, Miles, uh, a very good kid, and he's a very good bright spot for the Pacers franchise, especially with uh, you know the devastation to all these fans of man, we just traded a say a top fifteen player. Uh, after all that Paul George has meant to the to the team and the city, uh, you know what do we have now? At least Miles Turner is there. We're not uh, just like flat on our backs here in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. But uh, as far as my East rankings go, I have the Celtics number one. You know they were number one last year. Uh, 
And plus, they've added Gordon Hayward. I hate to say it for Jazz fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've added Gordon Hayward. He's back with Brad Stevens. I guess it's their match made in heaven. Uh, so I have them number one still. They're just getting better. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, I have them too because you can't really doubt LeBron James. I mean, every time you do, he just comes through and then he wins a ring. <laughs> yep. Um, so I've got them number two because last year showed that he doesn't really care about having that top seed. He's fine with like Boston have that top seed because in the end he still knows that he'll reach the NBA Finals. Um, and that is with or without Kyrie Irving. I still think LeBron is no worse than the two seed. Uh, then three have Washington. Uh, they just signed John Wall to that huge extension. Uh, Bradley Beal, he really impressed me in the playoffs last year. And finally, he was healthy enough to be there. Uh, really shoots it well. I'm a big Beal fan. Um, John Wall and Brad Beal, they are one of the top backcourts um, that I've seen this decade. Uh, then the Toronto Raptors, you know, it's pretty much their typical spot. Um, DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. Um, other than that, I don't see if they can really get ahead of the Wizards and definitely not the Cavs. They're just kind of stuck in the usual flow. Uh, Milwaukee Bucks, uh, they're increased a little bit from last year. Um, it's just that they don't have enough, um, even with their young guys. I know they're developing, but just not enough to really uh, pull their way up into the standings more than the fifth seed. Charlotte Hornets, uh, they're increased a little bit from last year, too. I've got Kemba. Uh, they've also added Dwight Howard. That, uh, that'll that really be huge, especially if they can find a way to really use Cody Zeller um, with Dwight Howard. He has some twin towers going on there. Um, that would be a nice option for the Hornets. Uh, I'm just, I don't really think it'll make them better than the sixth seed, but maybe Dwight Howard starts playing like his Orlando days. Uh, I don't know. If he does, then, you know, Hornets could really jump up that board, but uh, Dwight, he's really got to show me something. Yeah. Then Miami Heat, number seven, they wound up just outside of the playoffs last year. Uh, I think that with or without trading for Kyrie Irving, the Heat will sneak into the playoffs this year. Uh, and I don't know if they'll be higher than the seventh or not, but I played it safe with this pick. Uh, that brings us to the Pacers. I've got them an eighth just squeaking in there. Uh, just because they do have some of these key starters they've had last year, like Lance Stevenson, Miles Turner, Glenn Robinson. Uh, these guys are only getting better. I think Miles Turner's, I think he will have a huge year this year, uh, especially being that number one option with uh, Oladipo and Stevenson being the second and third option. Uh, they've also added Darren Collison. He's a season guard who they've had before. He's familiar with the team and uh, the culture that the Pacers have. Uh, I just think that they've got enough now to where they can actually just squeak into the playoffs. I know a lot might not agree with me because of losing Paul George, and a lot of people don't agree with me that Pacers did get some decent value. And I think uh, I think the package that they got from OKC is actually pretty decent. Uh, it's not like they got immediate all-stars, but uh, building for the future, they have young guys that will be here, and they've got young guys that can actually produce today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the number nine, I have the Orlando Magic. Uh, Frank Vogel, I really liked him when he was the Pacers coach. Um, you can't really doubt him out. Um, he's finally getting some young guys developed, starting to build a culture there. They actually signed Simmons of the Spurs uh, a couple weeks ago in free agency. I think that would be a very underrated signing. Uh, I think that will really help glue that team together. I uh, got them as the nine seed. Number 10, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, I have them 10. I was hoping to slow them into the playoffs, but I'm just 
not that willing right now because they've got to show me they can play at least half the season. Yeah, uh, stay healthy. The picks they've had. Like Embiid, he's got to show me he can play more than 30 games. Uh, ben Simmons, he hasn't even played one regular season game yet after he missed all of last year. So I'm just hoping that he's not a bust. You know, I want to see the Philly show that Embiid's been bragging about. Uh, and I want to see if, in fact, Ben Simmons is the next LeBron James. You know, maybe he be the LeBron of the next generation, but right now we have zero to go on. Yeah. Uh, then Markel Fultz, too. He played a little bit in the summer league, but... Then again, he had a slight injury. Yeah, he got hurt too. <laughs> injury after injury with these Philadelphia 76ers. Um, and really, they haven't had a solid rookie since Michael Carter-Williams. They shipped him out not long after he got rookie of the year. So, you know, they're having trouble building that chemistry and that longevity there in Philly. Uh, so let's see. They've still got Randy Jackson. They've still got Andre Drummond. Uh so, I mean, you know, he's pretty good center, one of the best in the East. Uh, but they're not showing me enough, especially, you know, from a management perception either, that uh, this is an actually, like, well-run ball club. Uh, I don't see them getting any higher than the 11th seed. Uh, they, signed, they signed some veterans this offseason, like Anthony Tolliver. He's going to really help out that locker room. I think they probably had some locker room issues last year, uh, so it was a disappointing year for them. But uh, I know that they're in the draft they wanted to get Donovan Mitchell. I really thought initially in the draft that he was going number 12 for the Detroit Pistons, and ultimately that didn't happen because they chose Duke's Luke Kennard. Uh, so it kind of surprised me, but I can see why, because they've had trouble trading Reggie Jackson, and so they you know, they still need a decent point guard, so they're holding on to Jackson. And uh, I, hey, I know, but, that, I know that Jazz fans are grateful that they picked Kennard over Mitchell, I can tell you that. <laughs> I that they are, rightfully so. <laughs> Uh, the number 12, New York Knicks, uh, they still have Christoph Porzingis, although I would have put money on him getting traded. Uh, you know, that might have happened had Phil Jackson lasted about three more days, <laughs> the way it was going there around the draft. But, Seriously. Uh, no, they still have Porzingis, and I think based on that alone, that they will, you know, win a few games. Um, I was really wanting to put him at 14, but I was like, well, Porzingis, you know, he is pretty good. NBA fans know that Porzingis... Uh, is one exceptional talent right now. Uh, so I'll slide them into the 12th slot. Uh, number 13, have the Atlanta Hawks. You know, it started with losing Horford, then losing Jeff Teague. Now they've lost Paul Millsap. It's like, you know, where are the Hawks going to go? Yeah. Um, and straight down the board is the answer to that. Now they've still got Schroeder, uh, but, you know, you can't really win many games with Schroeder and Bazemore. Uh, you've got to have a lot more than that. They had a strong front court. And then they've, you know, they've lost it all. <laughs> yeah, it's, the wheels have fallen off that bus there in Atlanta. That's for sure. Uh, number fourteen, I have the Chicago Bulls. I know Bulls fans will hate to hear that. They're <laughs> probably hoping for, you know, at least an eight seed. But you lose Jimmy Butler. Uh, you trade him for Zach Levine, who's coming off of a major injury with the Timberwolves last year. And you also get Chris Dunn in return. Dunn had just point rookie year. I really thought that he would uh, contend with Rubio for a starting point guard spot last season with the Wolves. Uh, but that didn't happen. Uh, at times you're like, why does this guy even belong in the NBA? Uh, so I do not think that the Chicago Bulls will do much because their roster is pretty much gutted now. They're relying on Zach Levine to be something special. And who knows how he will bounce back from that significant injury. Yeah. Uh, number 15, I have the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, simply put, the only two uh, players that really stick out to me are Karis LeVert 
and D'Angelo Russell, who they just received in trade with the Lakers. Um, other than that, they've got a lot of raw talent, uh, a lot of guys that are just trying to find their bearings in the NBA, catch up to NBA speed. Um, doesn't look like another good season for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I agree with you. Kind of interesting, Christian. I actually, my one through six in the East were exactly the same as yours, so we're on the same wavelength there. I also did have the Pacers eighth. Um, I know some people think they're going to be rough next year, but I agree. I think Miles Turner is going to break out. Um, I, I think they have some some good talent. They've added some good vets they've added, so I'm excited to see how it pans out. The thing that's crazy about the East is it's just so wide open. I feel like beneath you know those top five seeds, it's really wide open, and anyone could really land just about anywhere, uh, minus a few of the teams that are just flat out really bad. But, um, yeah, kinda, I'm looking at, you know, after the top four or five, it could really be anybody. Yeah, exactly. You could you have know, them one, jump around. One single injury to any team, and, you know, it could really shake up the East. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, cool. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Christian, I want to thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And good luck with the, the long off-season months ahead, and good luck with all your work on Louisville Sports Live and, and Blue World Order. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Same to you. Yeah, no problem. So for all the listeners out there, make sure you're following Christian on Twitter. Uh, his handle is just at Christian Dudley. He has a ton of great content. I really encourage you guys to give him a follow. Make sure you're following me as well. My handle is just at Jared Woodcox. And then also make sure you're following the new Three Point Threat Twitter handle, which is at 3P Threat Podcast. Thanks, everybody, and until next time, so long.